This week, the theme is planting seeds, and for the sort of sub-theme, it's mission means you. And so for the sake of this morning, and as we sort of frame our thinking for the week, what I'd like you to be thinking about is yourself as the seed that God wants to plant to bear fruit for his kingdom. So not just about the scattering of seed, as in the spread of the gospel, but of yourself as an invested one who is being used by God in a variety of contexts. We've already heard, you know, a person with a master of public health, a person who's just a willing builder, someone else who's got an egg company, and all of those people being used. And as we entered into this week, I want you to do some thinking about where you fit, all that you have to offer, all that you have as part of your own life. Last night at the uh, leadership dinner, we actually had, uh, as part of our, our, our sort of placemats, we had packets of seeds. And with very rare exception, almost all seeds are tiny. Very, very small. Uh, there's, a, there's a palm tree over in uh, Africa or in the east, eastern part of Africa that, that has the largest seed in the world. It's called the coco de mer. It has two seeds together. It's about the size of two watermelons glued. But most seeds are tiny. Jesus actually uses the illustration of the tiny mustard seed as a statement of what happens when our faith grows into something great. And in a sense, it's a parable for you and me. Because oftentimes, if we think of ourselves as the seed that God wants to plant, we can think of ourselves as being simply too small. I don't know if you've ever thought that way. I know I have. Too small to make a difference. I'm one person in seven billion souls on planet Earth. My country, the USA, only has 5% of the world's population. It's very easy to just feel overwhelmed by the vastness of need. So much so that I think I can't make any difference. But put in the right place, a tiny little seed can become something awesome. And that's what we want to look at this morning. To sort of get us thinking about uh, our seed, if you will, our lives given to God, I'd ask you to open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, you have the record of one of the miracles, actually outside the resurrection, the only miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a record of this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, starting with verse 5, you have the most amount of detail. And I'd just like to walk through it to remind us that something small given to Jesus can do something great. When Jesus looked up, verse 5, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? If you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that hospitality is a huge part of their culture. And anytime you come, we want to feed you. And so Jesus is part of that culture that's gone on for thousands of years. And so when, when Jesus sees the crowd coming, they've been with him for a while, and, and he wants to entertain them. He wants to show hospitality. So he says to Philip, give these people something to eat. Philip responds, uh, he, sorry, he asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip responds, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. You know, sometimes I'm Philip. Maybe you are too. 
You hear about a need in Mozambique. You hear about a need in, in the downtown of Grand Rapids. You, you see something and you just say, I just can't respond. I don't have the ability. The need is too vast. Maybe you've been watching on the news, you know, the reports coming across from, from, from Japan. And it's just overwhelming. And you're like Philip. You say, we just can't do it. Interesting in the story, Jesus doesn't respond to Philip's objection. He just moves on. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? Philip basically says, the need is too great, we can't do it. Andrew comes forward with a little bit of faith, maybe provoked by this little innocent boy. We don't actually know the boy's name. We never know his name. All we know is that he presents his lunch to Andrew to present to Jesus. Now, if you imagine it with me, maybe the little boy's parents were followers of Jesus. Maybe the little boy had been uh, following Jesus. He's seen Jesus do other miracles. He hears Jesus say, we want to feed these people. So the little boy, you know, tugs on Andrew's robe and he says, give this to Jesus. And Andrew sees the child's faith and children can oftentimes stimulate our faith. And he sees the child's faith and he says, uh, you know, Jesus, here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then he talks himself out of it. You know, whatever faith he had, he talks himself down, right? Because in the Greek language, it could actually be translated, here is a small man. So listen to it that way. Here is a small man with five small barley loaves and two small fish. What's the operative word? Small. Now, I'm going to be asking you some questions, so what's the operative word? Okay, good. You know, it's small. And it's almost like he's saying, you know, here's this boy, we got this lunch, Jesus, you can do, oh, it's so small. And if Philip says we can't do it, Andrew says our resources are inadequate. I'm Andrew sometimes too. Maybe you are too. You hear about this great need and you say, I don't, I don't have anything I can really offer. I can't spare another dime out of my budget. I can't give a week on a short-term mission trip. You know, and, and I don't, I can't, I can't. And we think of all the reasons why we can't. Interesting in this story, you've got this overwhelming need, the people that need to be fed, and you've got this little boy with his lunch. And I'd like to submit to you that Philip looks at the magnitude of the need and says it can't be done. Andrew looks at the smallness of the resources and says it can't be done. But my challenge to you and to myself is that we would be more like the little boy. Rather than looking at the resources or at the vastness of the need, we would look to the Jesus who takes your lunch and multiplies it. Amen? And so let's pick it up. All right? Philip answered. Now, interesting. Andrew's objection is not responded to either. Verse 10. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, tells us it was 5,000 men plus women and children. So if each man was there with a wife and two kids, the crowds now up to 20,000. So it's a pretty big crowd. No wonder the disciples were overwhelmed. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat. The phrase actually is translated in one version, when they were all satisfied. This is not a little snack. They're not passing out hors d'oeuvres, all right? This is, the people are satisfied with what Jesus has given them. 
And when he said they had all had enough to eat, he says, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. That last verse is significant before we move on. How many disciples are there? I told you I'm going to ask you questions. How many disciples? Twelve. How many baskets? Now put yourself in this situation. The disciples are a little bit hungry too. And this little boy comes forward with his minuscule lunch. If I'm one of those disciples, I'm saying to myself, you know, that lunch is pathetic for this crowd, but for the 12 of us, it's a nice little snack. Maybe hold us over till we get to the city. But the disciples have to release it too. And they spread it out. And when they give what Jesus has multiplied, there's enough left over for each of them. That's my way of saying sometimes God's going to call us to give when we don't exactly know how he's going to take care of us. But Jesus is trustworthy. When you give what you have to him, your needs get taken care of in the process. So let's look at what it might mean for us to be seeds planted. I'll use some things that are out of the planting of seeds, some from the miracle story here and just some from other parts of Scripture. But to get you thinking, as you go through this week, the first thing I want you to think about is when, it, when I say, what does it mean to plant seeds? The first thing when you plant a seed is the seed has to be released. You have to let it go into the ground. You have to, you have to plant it. I actually Googled online uh, uh, ornamental seeds. And there are things, little red seeds that people make into jewelry and decorations and stuff like that. And you can, you can have ornamental seeds. But a seed that's ornamental is not fulfilling its purpose. Any more than a Christian who all they do is sit in the pew on Sunday morning. It is ornamental. The seed has to be invested to fill its purposes. I saw this one thing that had ornamental seeds making up a necklace. And I was thinking, I'd love to be with that lady when it rains. You know, she's out there, the necklace gets wet, and all these flowers are sprouting out, you know? Because the seed was meant to produce fruit. The seed was meant to grow. And it has to be released for that to happen. Or another word that I like to use is, you know, you have to, as the seed presented to God's, God's purposes, you have to be available to whatever he has. You have to be open-handed, if you will. You have to let it go. In the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah has that famous encounter with God where we get the prayer that you'll hear inevitably at a mission conference, here I am, Lord, send me. But it's in the context of worship. And when Isaiah sees the Almighty God and he experiences the holiness of God and the magnitude of his own forgiveness, then he hears God's voice. And God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And that's when Isaiah prays what I call the availability prayer. Here I am, Lord, send me. Now, you know what that prayer is? That prayer is basically saying, in light of who you are, God, in light of everything you've done for me, in light of the cross, in light of forgiveness, in light of redemption, in light of eternal life, when you say, go, Lord, I will go. I'm sold out because of who you are and what you've done. Now, I don't know your church background. I, I did grow up in conservative, very conservative church background. And uh, we didn't raise our hands much. 
You know what I'm talking about? You, you don't raise your hand much either, trust me. You know what, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, we had a few radicals that when we would sing, I lift up my hands in thy name. You know, that's about, that's about as far as they would go. Because we just, I don't know why, we were uncomfortable with it for something, I don't know. But now I do a lot of traveling. And, you know, whether I'm with Plymouth Brethren in Jamaica or Anglicans in Nigeria, when God's people worship, they express themselves. You know, and they raise up their hands and they're surrendering to God. That's one of the symbols. They're basically saying, you are the greatest, another of the symbols. But one of the most profound is this one. Palms open towards heaven. Because that's what worship is all about. We come together on Sunday morning to be reminded of the greatness of salvation so that we go into the week saying, here I am, Lord. I'm available. I'm open-handed. We think of it as we go into the week and we say, Lord, here's my calendar. Here's my, here's my checkbook, my debit card. Here's, here's my, my resources, Lord. Here I am. It's interesting. I, I've, I've been with a, you know, a lot of people. I've never seen anybody like this. You know what I'm saying? Half to Jesus, I surrender. No, no, there's no nobody sings that. Right? We, you don't see people like this. Right? Jesus, I give you everything except for the cottage on the lake. That's mine. Mine. That BMW, I'm keeping it. You know, it's open-handed. If you have a BMW, Lord, how do you want to use my BMW? Give it to me. <laughs> no, that's a, that wasn't a word from the Lord. Um, you know, it's just open-handed. And what I want to remind us is the here am I, Lord, send me is not a prayer for those that go into full-time mission work. It's not just a prayer for those that go into ministry and they go to seminary or something like that. It's the prayer for every Christian every day. 24-7 availability. It's basically saying, Lord, as I'm going into this nursing home, here I am. Send me. As I'm going to my workplace, as I walk around my cubicles, here I am, Lord, send me. A high school kid told me he goes in on Monday morning and prays over all of his friend's lockers down the hallway. Here I am, Lord. I am at, at your disposal in this high school. It's walking around your neighborhood. It's praying over the names on the apartment house, wherever you live. It's just keeping it in mind. Here I am. You're going out to lunch after church? Here I am, Lord. Open up a conversation with somebody who's maybe waiting on me. It gets you thinking about being available to God, not because of your earning his favor, but because of his favor already on you. Here I am, Lord. I'm available. And you combine that with the reality that God wants to take all of the seed. When the seed falls into the ground, all of the seed is involved in the reproductive process, in the, in the growth process. And that's my way of reminding us that God is in the business of redeeming your whole life. Your past, your interests, your hobbies, your linguistic abilities, your musical abilities. You know, maybe you're, you're athletic. Maybe you have you know, specific areas of training. You know, you're a, you're a, a CPA, you're an engineer, and you know, all those things. You're an egg merchant. You're a, medic, you're a person with a, a degree in public health. And you say, all those things, Lord, here I am. I'm available. It's using whatever skills you have. Years ago, 
I, uh, I wrote a, a book, and um, when they're marketing the book, they ask the author to put something clever on the back and put something interesting about yourself. So I said, okay, fine. So I put, you know, my, my byline, what I do for work, and then it says, uh, then it says, one of Paul's dreams is to take a riverboat trip down the Amazon. So a couple of years later, I get an email from a guy. Read your book. I can fulfill your dream. He works with a group called Youth with a Mission. He runs a medical clinic on a boat called the Samaritan. And they're based in Manaus, Brazil, which is the main city on the Amazon River. And they go up and down the villages. Right? So I'm saying, you know, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to go. And he says, if you came, what could you do? I said, well, I, I speak. Do you speak Portuguese? No. Oh. What about your wife? He says, I said, well, my wife is, uh, she actually has a Master of Public Health, and she is a trained microbiologist specializing in tropical parasitology. He writes back, could you just send her? <laughs> you know, because I didn't have the skills they were looking for, but she did. She did. And you know, you make that, when you make yourself available to God, you basically say, Lord, how do I, how do you want to use my background, my, my resume, if you will? How do you want to use my interests, my skills? Uh, how many of you, just out of curiosity, this is just a simple example of, of availability plus using what God has. How many of you, just out of curiosity, speak English? All right? Quite a few. Quite a few. How many of you speak American, which is a derivative of English? Yeah. <laughs> do you realize, have you ever thought, Jesus, how do you want to use my English? You say, what? Well, English as a second language is probably one of the primary ways that people from other world religions who are coming to America are being reached. Because someone is willing to sit with them and teach them how to speak conversational English. You go over to Minnesota, you can work with people from Somalia and you, you can reach out to them just by teaching them English. I actually have a friend, he, he's taught English for more than 20 years in Libya. He said, if you can find someone with a master's in English, I can get them into Libya. He did, never said he could get you out of Libya, but he said <laughs> he could get you in to Libya. And remember, Jesus said, go. He didn't never say, come back, all right? But you know, if you want China, one of the largest ways that people can go and share the love of Jesus through their lives is English teaching. There are, there are people going to Yemen as English teachers. In other words, you have skills you don't even know could be useful, but if you give your seed, if you will, into God's investment, every part of you could be useful in his purposes. Uh, I remember... Uh, <clears throat> In the first service, I, I met a couple that were from the church of my youth and childhood where I used to serve on staff, and it reminded me of some of the uh, older members of our church there. And there was this one lady named uh, Marion. Uh, back 20, 25 years ago, Marion came to me. I was the missions pastor at, the point, at that point. And Marion came to me, and she said, Paul, um, I'm, uh, I'm 67 years old. I'm retiring in a few months. I'm a widow, self-sustaining widow. I don't want to sit in a rocking chair until I have to. Could you give me something to do? I said, well, Marion, what have you been doing for the last 35 years? She goes, I'm a nutritionist. I prepare food for large groups of people, first at a military base, then at a nursing compound. 
So we started researching. You know, Marion, when she was 67 years old, set off on her first ever trip to Haiti. Guess what she was doing? Preparing nutritious food for large groups of people in charge of a feeding station for children. 600 kids a week they were feeding for the first four months until she trained two Haitians to take her place. She'd used her own money and we invested, or we, we used some of her money, some of our money to invest in an industrial size like Cuisinart thing. And by the end of the four months, she was feeding 2,000 kids a week. A few years ago, I had the privilege of performing Marion's uh, funeral service. Between the age of 67 and 86, she went to Haiti 44 times using those skills. She got her hip replaced, knee replaced. She had kids. We used to call her the bionic missionary. She was partly plastic. I mean, you know, she, she, she actually recruited my mother to go with her on our short-term mission trip to uh, Kenya, East Africa. She said to my mother, you're going with me. My mother was a widow at the time, and, uh, and she said, uh, my, my mother goes, what am I going to do? I said, what? She goes, well, Marion wants me to go. I said, why don't you go? I said, well, I'm afraid to go. But Marion took away my only excuse. I said, what's your only excuse? I'm too old. And Marion's, <laughs> Marion's older than me. You know, and she was powerfully used by God to help retirees start looking at their retirement a different way. Because rather than just you know, retiring to become shuffleboard king of Key West, you, know, you, you start, well, you, know, you, you start thinking about how does God want to use all those things for his glory? It's a much more Christian radical view of the way of being sold out at all ages. You know, she actually, uh, Marion spoke one time in her senior years, uh, towards an early 80s, she spoke to our seniors fellowship. It was kind of funny. She got up and she said, some of you are afraid to go with me to Haiti. Because you're afraid, I might, if I go to Haiti, I might die in Haiti. She says, I'm looking out over the group of you. You're going to die whether you go to Haiti or not. <laughs> now, when you're 82, you can say that, right? She said, she said, and let me tell you, it's so much cheaper to be buried in Haiti, you know? I mean, we sing about being sold out, but are we? Being sold out is about saying, Lord, here's everything, open-handed. And you say to the Lord, what do you want to use my skills for? For your purposes. The seed, all of it, plays a part. Related to the whole cultivation issue, let me give another suggestion. As you think about what it means to be a seed planted, can I challenge you to just to think this week about how to expand your prayer life? Because one of the ways that we serve not just as, as uh, seed planters in the lives of others, but in, in the way God shapes us as invested seeds is by our prayers. By the work of the Holy Spirit, through our prayers, God cultivates us. You know, he grows us. He shows us where he wants us to be. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 commands the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest. The first place when you're facing overwhelming need, the first place to go is to the Lord of the harvest. He'll show you where he wants you to be. So what, where can you expand your prayers this week? As you think about your own life as a planted seed, start praying for other places in the world. I hope you're praying for Libya. At the end of the service, Bruce will tell you some ways you can be involved in praying for Libya and, and Japan this week. You know, maybe, maybe you get involved in, in increased prayer because you're curious about some other country. Uh, I went to a high school kid. Your church has a strong partnership in Mozambique, and 
I went to this high school kid one time, and I said to him, uh, I said, are you praying for any countries? He said, yes, sir. I said, what are you praying for? He says, I'm praying for Mozambique. Now, unlike your church, our church didn't have any outspoken partnerships, so I, I was surprised that a 17-year-old even knew about Mozambique. Never mind, was praying for it. I said to him, why did you choose Mozambique? He said, it's the only country of the world with a machine gun on the flag. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, well, that's uh, good. But see, you know, God can work all sorts of ways. You find someone in your workplace who's coming to you from another country or from another world religion, learn their name and pray for them, pray for their family. You know, I have a medical doctor friend who's from Libya, and I'm just sending an email telling him I'm praying for you, for your family, for their safety. How is everybody? You know, I have never met a person in the world, from another world religion at least, who doesn't enjoy when somebody else prays for them. And so, you know, you can expand your prayers that way. But I do have one creative idea. Are you ready for this? This is the only creative idea I've had in my whole life. I'm from New England. In New England, we don't have creative ideas. We just persevere. All right, so. But this was my creative idea. Enlarge your vision for the world this week. Expand your global praying this week by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. You know what I'm talking about? The made-in label. You know, not Lord, bless fruit of the loom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the label made-in. You know, because it's amazing you can connect to many of the most unreached places on earth by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. You don't believe me, go to your closets later today. I share that wherever I go, especially in an early visit. And I shared it down to this church in Texas. And this lady comes to me and she goes, that was a great idea. I said, what? Praying for the country on the label of your clothes. I said, why, why would you say that? She goes, well, I homeschool my boys. They're nine and they're seven. And... Uh, I can't get them interested in world geography. So I asked them if they'd be willing to study the country where their clothes were made. And the boys said, yeah, probably thinking it was going to be, you know, Canada, USA, Mexico, right? She said, we went in and started taking the clothes off the hangers and writing it down. China, the world's largest country, was there. India, the world's largest Hindu country, second largest Muslim country, was there. Uh, Bangladesh, fourth largest Muslim country. Pakistan, third largest. Indonesia, largest Muslim country. All hanging in her class. Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam and Sri Lanka, predominantly Buddhist countries, were there. Places she'll never get to go, she can pray for by praying for the country on the labor of clothes. She said, we went through just one closet. One closet, she said. And there were 26 nations. 26 nations which reminded me of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember? He said, when you pray, go into your closet and pray. <laughs> so, there you have it. Now, that's actually not what he meant. Um, but it's, it's amazing. This morning I put on my shirt made in Bangladesh, fourth largest Muslim country in the world, one of the world's poorest countries, if not the poorest. I put on my jacket, and it was made in Colombia, South America. Uh, so a place where there's been tremendous amount of turmoil because of drug wars, drug cartels, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I've got like global conflict just on my top half. <laughs> you know, but when you pray, you begin to connect yourself to the Lord of the harvest. And God does things 
through your prayers. Maybe, maybe you'll start you know, seeing people from those countries. You know, you know what it's like? I meet the guy in Boston. I said, uh, I, said, he said, I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from Egypt. I prayed for your country this morning. Why would you do that? I said, because my shirt was made in Egypt. Thanks, you know. But isn't it awesome to think about the God, the Lord of the harvest. Think about the day coming when we're in the heavenly worship service with people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping Jesus. And, and when I pray now, when I put this shirt on, I pray not only for Bangladesh, I pray for the person who made my shirt. Because that, the only touch I might have with this Muslim fellow is by praying for the, the, the person who made my shirt. But wouldn't it be great you get to heaven? You know, and you, you're there worshiping, and a guy comes up to you and says, Hello. He has a nice long robe on and everything. And he, my name is Abdul Abdullah. So I'm from Bangladesh. I made your shirt. <laughs> well, it's funny, but think about it. The God of the universe knows Abdul. I just prayed for him without knowing his name. And he tells me the story in the history books of heaven, how the day that I prayed for the guy who made my shirt, the Holy Spirit of God began to work in that guy's life. Maybe he had a miracle, a dream, a vision. He got to a radio broadcast, got into a correspondence course, met some Christians, and he became a follower of Jesus. Your God, my God, is big enough to do that. And we need to be expanding our prayers because there's no country on earth that you cannot go to today by praying for those countries. You know, we talk about the unreached or the closed countries. There are no closed countries to your prayer. Last but not least, for the seed to bear fruit, it has to die. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Now, I don't know that God's going to call you to lay down your life to the point of death, although we did sing that. I don't know if you caught that. If my life I lose, I will follow you. We sang that. You know? But I don't know that's going to be the cost. But I do know this. When you start allowing yourself to be God's seed, there might be some pain in the offering, to use the song words again. There might be some difficulty. Now, when you encounter pain, Economic pain, relational pain, physical pain. What's the first thing you pray when you encounter pain? Relief. relief. You pray for relief. You pray, take it away, don't you? Or do you say, like, bring it on? What do you, what do you say? <laughs> you say, take it away, right? Be encouraged. As we come up on the Easter season, Jesus prayed that very same prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, if there's another way, take this cup from me. But if not... Your will be done. And here's my, my suggestion. If you have some sort of pain, suffering, uncontrolled circumstance in your life, you know, if you have, uh, Elizabeth Elliot defines suffering as having something you don't want or wanting something you can't have. If you have suffering in your life, the first thing you pray is, Lord, take it away, right? But then, if the Lord doesn't take it away the way you want him to, then say, Lord, use my pain. Use my pain. Why do you think it is that Johnny Erickson Tata, paralyzed at age 17, living in a wheelchair for the last 40 years, has been so mightily used by God? Because, somebody, because the Holy Spirit raised her up out of the chair and healed her? 
No, because when God didn't heal her in the way she wanted to be healed, she said, then Lord, use my paralysis. And she's become the primary advocate of the gospel to handicapped people all over the world. Paul says it to the Corinthians this way. God comforts us in our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort we've received from God. In other words, God can bear fruit through our hardship just like he bore fruit through the hardship that our Savior suffered. He can bore, so it's my way of saying, you say, Lord, you know, I'm so lonely, please meet my loneliness, but if you don't meet it the way that I want, then help me to reach out to somebody who's lonelier than me. Lord, you know, heal my cancer, but if you don't heal it exactly the way that I'm praying for, then use me as a, a voice of hope in the chemotherapy ward. Lord, Lord you know, I, I wish I didn't have this job, but if, you, if this is the job I have, or if, I, if I'm unemployed, Lord, use me in the unemployment line. See, we don't like to pray that. We only pray for the one way. We want to be released. But, but God uses our hardship and suffering. Talk to your global partners this week. Some of them have been kicked out of various countries and out of their suffering, God has brought forth fruit. It's a biblical principle. About 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, a Belgian missionary set sail to be a missionary to Hawaii. Now I see some of your faces. Aloha, Jesus. Here I am. I'm ready, you know. After a long winter, I'm ready to go be a missionary in Hawaii, amen? You know? But he didn't go to be a tourist or to retire there or anything like that. This guy went to Hawaii to the little tiny island of Molokai. And he went to Molokai because in those days they would take people with leprosy, which we call today Hansen's disease, and they would take them out of the community, put them in a leper colony where they would be isolated and rot to death so that no one had to see them or be infected by them. This is where this Belgian missionary went. And the historians say that, you know, when he had his ministry started, he tried to project to the lepers, rejects, rejects from society, that they were special in God's sight. And so he would say to them, my dear lepers, in his tiny little congregation on Sunday morning, my dear lepers, my dear lepers. And he wanted to let them know that he wasn't looking at them in the way the world looked at them. And he wanted to let them know that the God Almighty loved them as they were in their condition. But the books say that everything changed about his life and ministry on after many months of, of living there in the Molokai leper colony. Many things, something changed when on the Sunday morning he stood up in front of his congregation and changed his greeting. And he said, my fellow lepers. He had been exposed to the disease for so long, now he had contracted it. And he would die from it, just like they were going to. That's when they came to hear him speak. Because they wanted to know, does he still have this hope in Jesus when he understands the pain that we're going through? If you go to Honolulu, Hawaii today, and go to the state capitol, on two sides of the state capitol are statues. On the one side, you've probably seen the statue, it's the great king Kamehameha, the great king who united all the islands into one Hawaiian kingdom. On the other side of the state capitol is the statue of this missionary. The Hawaiian people honor him so much for his life given for the lepers through his pain. As you're entering into this week, my challenge is to just to do some thinking. Lord, I am your seed. 
I want to be planted. I want to be released. I want you to use every aspect of my life. Cultivate me, Lord, by expanding my sense of prayer for the nations. Lord, use even the idea that I'm going to have to have some loss so that your kingdom has some gain. Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. Does the mission of God actually involve you? And how will you find that out this week? Let's pray. In a responsive way, I'm just going to invite you, if you're comfortable joining me in response and worship, to put your palms up open towards heaven and sit in that posture of saying, Lord Jesus, here we are. We sit, we stand, Lord, as people redeemed by the love of Jesus, saved by your power, saved by your death on the cross. We are so grateful, Lord, that in response we just say, Lord, we are yours. We are sold out. We're open-handed, Lord. We invite you this week to expand our understanding of how you might want to use all the gifts and abilities that we bring because we open our hands up in response to you and we say, Lord, here we are. We're grateful. We're available. We're yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.